0: Alright, good morning. I'm Kotz. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the teaching pastor here, and we are in part three of a series called 316, and when you think of the numbers 3 and 16, I hope you automatically think, oh, John 316, right? That's like the most famous verse in the Bible, and some of you haven't memorized, and what we decided to do was, you know, last year we went through Revelation in like a month and a half. We're not going to do that again. We thought, let's slow down Let's go through the verse little by little. We're going to spend nine weeks on one verse, John 3:16. So here's John 3:16. I'll show it to you right here. "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." The reason we're slowing down and talking about each of these words carefully is because we've gotten so familiar with this, right? You see it everywhere. you go to the football game, and for some reason, somebody's holding up the John 3:16 sign. Don't know why. But my job is to break this down and help you see what's underneath the layers. I think um, when we're so familiar with something, we stop learning things about it. And uh, so I just wanna make it a little weird for you guys, okay? So the first week we talked about the word God. God is a generic word for God in the Greek. This is originally written in Greek 2,000 years ago, translated to English now. Um, The word God is the word theos. In the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim and it's a generic, so so when somebody says, I believe in Elohim, or I believe in Theos, the first question is, which one, right? So we looked at the Old Testament on the day that Moses met this Elohim, and what he learned about him, and what we learned together as a congregation is that God is loyal, he will always be loyal, he will ever be loyal, he will ever be love, always be love, and he will never ever stop being present. So that is the God, That Jesus is referring to when he says for God so loved the world last week pastor Stan talked about the word love And he said that love is unconditional and if there's one attribute that God says I want to be known for It's not his power. He's not like I want to be famous because I'm the most powerful God. No, right It's not because he's the one that works the most miracles It's not because he's the one that has the deepest thoughts, right? He says the number one thing that God wants to be known for is his love and so this is God demonstrating how much he loves us. So these are the words that we studied already. Today, we're gonna to be looking at this, the world. This ever-loving, ever-present, ever-loyal God wants to love the world. So what, what, what does that mean, world, right? I mean, well, let's look at the original language. This is in Greek. I tested my wife on this yesterday. It's like, I pronounce this. Um, <laughs> That looks like a K, so it is a K sound, K, you know? Ah, uh, that's an S, by the way, S, And that's an M, it looks like an M, kind of, right? The word here is this, it's cosmos. Can you say cosmos? Cosmos, that's where we get the word cosmos, yeah, <laughs> ooh. Okay, <laughs> now the reason why we're looking at this word in depth is because when we look, think about the word world, we tend to think, oh, world, that could mean so many things, right? And there's a little confusion As a matter of fact, because of this confusion, there was actually a book of the Bible that was almost omitted when they were canonizing the Bible because there was so much confusion around this word world. So I'm gonna show you a verse. This is from Acts. Uh, Luke wrote this. He said, the God who made the world, that's the word cosmos right there in the Greek, and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. That's That's cosmos right there, and does not live in temples built by human hands. When scholars try to translate ancient languages into present day English, what they do is they look for that same word to see words used in other Greek texts, right? And this is an example of that. This is in the book of Acts and they're like, oh, the word cosmos is used twice. When you look at this, you think, oh, this must be like a good thing, right? When he says that God created the cosmos, it makes you think of the book of Genesis when God created the world and he said it was good. So. When you look at the word cosmos used in this context, you might think, is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. The world is a good thing, right? But then we get to the book of James, which is a book that was almost omitted from the Bible. It says, don't you know that friendship with the cosmos, there it is again, means enmity against God? Whoa, wait, what? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad, and if you missed it, The next verse, or the next part of the same verse, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the cosmos becomes an enemy of God. Oh, that must be one of those contradictions in the Bible that people talk about, right? (laughs) Well, okay, so in this sense, the cosmos is a bad thing. So do you see the confusion here? And there's another one. Uh, John, one of Jesus' apostles, he wrote a letter. And in chapter two, verses fifteen through seventeen, he uses the word cosmos in a negative way, also. So wait, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave this what? I, I, I thought the world was a good thing, right? So the reason why it's so confusing, f- confusing is because where cosmos has three intonations, it has three types of. I want to say definitions or connotations. So let's go over the three. First, cosmos, right? It means the actual earth, you know, the ground, the river, the the sky, right? That's cosmos. So when he says he is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, he's talking about the earth, the actual physical ground, right? And the second definition is the inhabitants, I can't say the word, inhabitants, inhabitants, Okay, the people who live or the things that live on this earth. So when God says, for God so loved the world, he might be talking about the physical earth, but he could also be talking about the people and the animals and the insects, except for spiders. Um, my interpretation, right? Um, the fish, you know, all the living things on this earth, he says, I love, okay, so th- right? But then there's a third definition. The third definition is this. There are systems opposing heaven. These are human systems that are actively hostile towards whatever God is trying to accomplish. Okay, so slavery, God wants to free humanity. So slavery would be a system that was created by people that is actively opposing what God is trying to accomplish on this earth. That would be considered to be worldly. So the word cosmos has these three definitions in mind. And when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he's actually referring to these two up here okay are we clear like okay so I just cleared up something that might be confusing right and that could be the end of the sermon that could be right so if you look at the verse for God so love the world he's talking about the earth that he created and the in- inhabitants 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 of the people who can somebody say it for me inhabitants, inhabitants. Yeah. I took ESL, so come on guys, give me some slack. Okay, (laughs) okay, so this is the context of everything that we're talking about, okay? Now, I want to focus today for the rest of the day, rest of of the 30 minutes or whatever, (laughs) don't tempt me, Uh, the rest of the time that we're here, uh, we want to focus on the last definition, which is the systems that are actively against, opposing the work that God is trying to accomplish here, right? because in Christian culture, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't, you're gonna learn some really interesting things about Christian culture. We were in this mode, and maybe we still are, where we are quick to label certain things as worldly. So what I heard, I wasn't a Christian back then, but what I heard a while ago is, when rock and roll started to become popular, the church said, oh, that's so worldly. That's worldly music. We love organs. You know, We only play organs and hymns, right? What is this? Verse chorus, verse chorus. No, that's the, the devil, right? No, 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 no. We we love songs that, that is so hard to understand. It has to use the word Ebenezer in there every once, in a while, right? It's like so weird, like they use thousand, the yeah, like, but that music over there, worldly, stay away from it. Right? Drums, electric guitar, no. Bruce, you would not belong up here thirty <laughs> years ago, 40 years ago, right? But you know, people started to warm up to it. So, um so because the Bible and the book of James and the book of 1 John, it, they both say that we're not supposed to befriend the world, these worldly things, we're supposed to hate it. And if we befriend it, then we're, we're an enemy of God. So what is this world thing that we're talking So the question today is this, what systems of the world are we supposed to hate? Yeah, welcome to our church. We're talking about things we're supposed to hate today, right? So, you know, eventually the church warmed up to rock music, I guess, because, you know, people had Christian lyrics to the rock genre, right? And then rap music came up, and everyone's like, oh, that's of the devil, that's worldly, let's stay away from that, right? And there's certain brands that you want to stay away from. I don't know if you heard this, this is in the news like a year or two ago. So you know the musical Hamilton? Like, phenomenal, great stuff, right? You could learn US history while you know rapping about it. That's so cool. So there's a church somewhere in the United States that said that is cool, but they love the cool factor of it, but that's worldly stuff. So they changed the lyrics to it, and they sing it in their church, and now Hamilton the musical is suing this church because they wanted to create an unworldly version of that song, right? And if you're like, really Christians do that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, like I've seen t-shirts, and I used to wear them where it looks like a popular brand, but if you read it carefully, it's actually like a Christian version of it. It's like, oh, because we're trying to stay away from the worldly version of it, right? Um, Somebody told me, and I haven't even listened to this yet, but Taylor Swift is a big deal right now, and one of her songs is called Shake It Off, and so they wrote a song called Put It Off, Like, I think it's about, like, premarital sex or something. I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) uh, It it makes me go, like, every time I hear a Christian version of something that's popular, I'm like, why are we doing this? But, you know, like, some people vote according to this, right? They're like, there's politics, but there's a Christian version of politics. So I have to vote for this person, right? You heard people say that, right? It's like, if it doesn't have the Christian label, it must be worldly, right? If it doesn't repeat the name of Jesus in every line of the song, it must be worldly. It must not be of this world. This is the exact thing that James must have been talking about when he said you shouldn't befriend the world, right? Well, if that's your upbringing or if you're like, really, people are like that? I'm going to dispel that today because I want to share with you a story of my first day in seminary, okay? So my first day in seminary, I'm sitting there, sitting around other new, eventually future pastors, And then the professor walks in, he puts his books down, his stack of books, and he passes out the syllabus, and as he's passing out the syllabus, he asks this question. He says, does God exist in your secular math textbook? I'm like, does God exist in a math textbook? You mean like, one plus one is two? Uh, And somebody raised their hand and said, "Um, I don't see the name of Jesus anywhere in this textbook. Right, it's like, okay. And so he went around the class asking every student, And after everybody had their answers, and some of them were different than others, he looked at the class and he said this. He said, if God, oh next slide, if God is the author of all truth, all truth, and your textbook has truth in it, then yes, absolutely God is in there. One plus one is two, is true. Therefore, God is the author of that principle. And so somebody raised their hand and said, well, Professor, what about about a science book? Science book, they have a lot of things in there that are true also, right? God created this world, and in that, he created certain things that are, you know, like when you heat up water, it turns into vapor, all that stuff, right? He created it that way. Science exposes that truth. So again, he said, if God is, oh, next one. If God is the author, Next slide. There you go. If God is the author of all truth and your textbook has truth in it, then absolutely God is in that textbook. It doesn't have the name of Jesus in it, right? It doesn't have churchy words in it, but God is there. And then the professor looked at everybody and kind of smiled and he said, okay, here's the question I wanted to really get to. If there's a community of people outside the church And let's just say they're atheists. Is God in that community? And so we're like, okay, this is a trick question. How should we answer this, right? That's where I get my love for, you know, tricking you guys. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's where I got it from. Okay. And he looked at everybody and this is how he answered it. If God is love and a non-Christian group is exhibiting Christ-like love, then absolutely God is there. If there is a group of people who are sacrificing themselves because they want to make, sacrificing themselves to love on somebody else. If there's a parent who is sacrificing him or herself for the sake of their child. If there's a person who's giving a voice to somebody who doesn't have a voice. If there's a person who is saying, I'm gonna commit myself to valuing every single human being regardless of whether I agree with that person or not. He said, then Christ is there. And then he stopped. And then he said this. And this is the part that really hurt me. In the same breath, I want to emphasize this. A movement that bears the label of Christian does not necessarily mean it is from God. Just because we repeat the chorus, Jesus, 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 doesn't mean that is not always, it doesn't always mean that Christ is there in that midst. Just because it has the word church on the label of the organization does not always mean that it is from God, because it could be worldly. In some situations, next slide, here we go, the church can be considered worldly. What happens when a church allows abuse within its four walls? That's not of Christ, that's worldly. What if the pastor uses manipulation to get everybody to join my agenda? That's not Christ-like, that's that's worldly. What if the church uses you, manipulates you, and then uses you so that we could get free labor somehow? That's worldly. And by the way, if you're serving in our church and you're like, do you mean we get paid? No. But if you need to take a break, you know, we just really appreciate that you're always willing to help out. But, you know, it's not, never required for you to be part of a church. You don't have to do something. <clears throat> if the church misuses funds, that's not godlike. That's not Christlike. That's worldly. If the church seeks power, that's more empire than it is Church. And all these things there's just listed right now would not be qualified as Christ-like. It would be considered worldly because it is technically a human system that actively acts against God. So let me just summarize what I just talked about. There are things labeled Christian that aren't Christ-like. And at the same time, there are things labeled non-Christian that are Christ-like. What are we learning here? That labels are unreliable. You can't just say, oh, because it uses the word church and it, it must be Christ-like. Oh, just because it has the word Jesus in it, it must be Christ-like. In the same way, you can't say, because we've labeled that as worldly, you know, it's not, it, because, okay, let me figure get this right, because we call it worldly doesn't mean that its is un-Christ-like, it could be Christ-like. We can't rely on labels to determine what is of God and what is not, okay? Now, some of you are like in agreement, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, some of you are like, I've noticed you haven't used any Bible verses yet, Kotz. <laughs> like, I don't believe everything, anything you're gonna say until you use some Bible verses. So, I'm going to share with you a principle that comes from not just one verse, but basically chapter 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33 of the book of Genesis, because I love Genesis, okay? <clears throat> this is the main lesson of those seven chapters. So, and not only that, this is not just like a really good story, It's a story that later on Jesus refers to to make the exact same point. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to explain this. We're not going to read through all these chapters. I'm going to give you a summary, but I recommend that you go home and read this for yourself because it is a fascinating story. Okay, and I've also did a little diagram here, so it's easy for us to follow. Okay, so over here in a town called Beersheba, I don't know if you can see this. This is like small. There's a J and an E. Who lived in Beersheba with initials J and E? Bible nerds unite? Anybody? No? There's a guy named Jacob and there's a guy named Esau. They're actually twins, okay? They're brothers. Esau was born slightly before Jacob. So in that culture, whoever the oldest is gets the birthright of the family. So they get to take the inheritance, gets the land, and whatever God has blessed them with, that blessing continues through the older one, okay? Now, if you know this story, um, the mother of the twins, she favored Jacob, the younger one, and so she's like, you know what, Jacob, this is bad parenting advice, okay? It's like, hey, Jacob, come here. I want you to have the blessings. I want you to have the family right. I want you to carry on this 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 line, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to groom you to um, betray your brother, deceive him, and then you're going to you – know, because he's like a little slow, right? So it's like – your brother is not that bright, so I want you to use these tactics, and then your dad's going to accidentally give you the blessing, and then your brother's going to be without blessings at all, (laughs) right? Now, I don't know why this mother thinks that this is the best way to go about it, but she goes through with it, and he actually betrays his brother. Now, his brother, very slow, right? So he eventually gets there like, wait a minute, that was mine, right? And now he's so angry that he wants to kill his brother. So his mom, he's been, she's, been wise so far, so you know, let's give, him, give your son more advice. She says, okay, Jacob, this is what you're gonna do. I have a brother far, far away, next slide, over here in a place called Haran, or Haran. Your uncle Laban's there, why don't you go and stay with him, just run away. And he's like, really, just run away from my family? He's like, yeah, eventually Esau will cool down, or maybe not, he might still wanna kill you 20 years from now, but just, just go, right? So, and by the way, okay, next slide. The distance between here is 450 miles, and it's all desert. So there's no way he can make it there in one night, right? So he gets his stuff, whatever he has, which is very little, and he runs off. Jacob's running, run, run. So, okay, and he's here now. And he gets there, and he's, like, tired. Like, oh, I think it's getting dark. I should probably rest here. Now, let's stop the story here. A little more context here, okay? Back in those days, Yahweh, our God, is one of many, many gods, okay? And they believed that gods dwelled over certain civilizations. Okay, so if two nations were to go to war and one wins, they won't just say, Our city is better than your city. They would say, Our God is more powerful than your God. Because they believed that gods dwelled over the city, right? Now, when Jacob runs into the middle of the desert. Hey, Jackson happy new year okay (laughs) right and he's in the middle of the desert that is basically a territory where no gods dwell so what is jacob expecting when he decides to stop in the middle of the desert he's expecting nothing as a matter of fact he might be expecting a little bit of danger because there's no god there to protect him that was the assumption back then okay okay so jacob is in the middle of nowhere it doesn't even have a name yet and he's like i'm tired i need to go to sleep um There's a rock. I'll pick up that rock, use it as a pillow, and go to sleep. And that night, something interesting happens. Let's take a look. This is Genesis chapter 28. When Jacob reached a certain place, it doesn't have a name, so they just call it a certain place, he stopped for the night because because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. Sounds like he's camping. All right, let's keep going he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. Stairway here implies like more like a pyramid, a ziggurat, if you know what a ziggurat is. It's a bunch of steps. Uh, With its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So it's going up and down, up and down. In this dream, he sees these angels like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's the image that you're supposed to have right here. Okay. Then, There above it stood the Lord. That's the word for Yahweh, by the way. And he said, I, in case you don't know who I am, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of your father's Abraham and the God of Isaac. Isaac is his dad. So he's like, wait a minute, my dad and my grandpa, you're the God that oversaw my ancestors? Like, yeah, that's me. It's like, but what are you doing here? This is a desert. You're supposed to be over there with my brother and my parents, right? What are you doing here with me? This is a place where... Everybody knows that you don't, you don't belong here, right? What are you doing here in the middle of nowhere? Let's keep going. When Jacob awoke from, from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. This is a groundbreaking, mind-blowing moment for Jacob. What do you mean you're here? There's no city here. There's no civilization here. I'm the only one here. Well, guess what? I'm here with you. And Jacob is like, wow. Wow. I found God in a place where he's not supposed to be. Wow, okay? So Jacob, he was afraid, of course, because God's speaking to him, and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. By the way, the house of God in Hebrew, house is Beit, or Beth, B-E-T-H, Beit. L is God, so he's like, I'm gonna name this place Bethel, right? This is the gate of heaven. So let's look at the diagram here. So this is where he is, and so he takes the stone that he slept on and gathered a few more stones, and then he piled on top of each other, next slide, and he called it Bethel, because this is the house of God. Today, it's actually a city. I think it's called Luz now, L-U-Z, which is unfortunate, because it sounds like you're losing, but um, he was winning. Okay, so um, after that, Jacob is like, wow, that was a great experience, but I gotta keep running because my brother could come after me and kill me. So, next slide. Oh, so he made it here, to Haran. (laughs) He's faster than I thought. (laughs) Now, in this story so far, what do you think the author of this story is trying to tell us? He's telling us that God dwells in the least likely places. I didn't think that God would be there, but I went there, and there he was. All the cultures around me says that there is no God there. I went there, and there he was. Surprise, surprise. No, the story doesn't end there. So he gets to Heron, and he's interacting with this uncle and he falls in love with, I guess his cousin because he has daughters and he's like, I wanna marry, okay, back then it was kinda weird, okay, but but he's like, there's two daughters and he says, I wanna marry that one. And he's like, if you work for me for seven years, then you could have one of them. He's like, cool, he works seven years, gives him the one that he didn't want. So he had to work another seven years to get the, so 14 years he's there. And, oh, by the way, the name Jacob, do you guys know what the name Jacob means? Heel catcher. Yeah, a heel grabber, which is good job, Bible nerds. Okay. When you grab onto somebody's heel, it's almost like today when we say, you're pulling my leg. It means deceiver. Jacob's name is deceiver. <laughs> you don't name your kids Jacob then, huh? Okay. Well, he has a good ending. That's why people call him Jacob. Okay. Um, <laughs> So if you look at the story, he deceived his brother Esau, his mom taught him how to deceive his brother Esau, right? And then he comes over here to Haran, and then and Haran, in Haran um, his uncle deceives him. After 14 years, he decides to de- deceive his uncle to get away from his uncle. So there's a lot of deception in this story. So as he deceives his uncle and then he leaves, next slide, now he's leaving with a lot more stuff because he deceived his uncle, he has all this stuff, and he has two wives and a bunch of kids, okay? Now, as he goes, he almost makes it back to Esau, but he stops right here. Now, why does he stop right here? Because he's afraid that Esau's gonna kill him. It's like, it's only been 14 years. He still probably wants to kill me. And I know that when I left with God's blessing and the family inheritance, maybe I took God with me, so maybe God's not there anymore. Oh, he's gonna wanna kill me. What should I do? What should I do? So he's like, okay, okay. I'm going to send some of my servants with a bunch of gifts and send them ahead to Esau. And maybe he'll be like, okay, fine. You know, he wasn't that bright back then, so maybe this would learn. And then eventually he even puts his wife and his kids in front of him as like a human shield. It's like, you guys go first, and I'll follow later. Like, he is super afraid, right? And he's not that wise. But while he was there, right there in the middle of nowhere, something interesting happens. He has another encounter with God. He ends up wrestling this angel. He thought it was an angel, but later I found out he was the Lord, right? And after that little wrestling match, the Lord looks at Jacob and says, your name is no longer Jacob. We're gonna change your name from Jacob, which means deceiver, heel grabber, to Israel, which means wrestles with God or governed by God. You have a new identity now. Again, he meets God in a place that nobody thought would meet would have god there right and he there he is and now that he has this new identity he's like okay i'm ready okay come on esau let's go right and as he's about to start going towards esau guess what happens next slide esau slowly comes over to jacob actually not slowly the word and the text says that he actually ran to jacob with open arms and immediately when Jacob saw Esau, he got on his knees and said, we are so sorry. We will be your, your, your servants. Yes, we, no, my wife and my kids, we are here to serve you. Everything that I have is yours. Please take it. You know, let's make amends. And Esau's response is really interesting. Esau says, what are you doing, brother? Get back up. He gives him a big hug. And Jacob is in tears, like, no, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Here, take take my, take my servants, take my things, everything is yours. He's like, no, 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 do you need help carrying them? Here, I'll send you some of my servants, and they will help you carry this stuff. And they're like, what happened to you? Jacob, at this point, discovered that God was actually working on Esau's life while he was on this journey also. Jacob assumed that God was with him, not with Esau, not with the one that wants to kill him. And he found out that God was with them every step of the way. Once again, he learns the same lesson, that God dwells in the least likely places. Just because Jacob had the title and the blessings of God, he assumed that God was with him and everything else was worldly. But when he went to the world, he discovered that God was also there. He just didn't know about it. Now, Jumping with the New Testament, we have a character named Jesus, he's the main character. And Jesus is starting his ministry and he's looking around, he's like, okay, first, I need to create create like a posse, like a disciple, 12 group of 12, let's, okay, let's start recruiting. Peter, come follow me, yes, sir. You know, you, come follow me, yes, sir, right? And he eventually gets this guy named Philip. Philip, come follow me, he's like, yes, sir. And Philip is like, you know what? There's somebody else I wanna recommend join our group. Oh, who is that? Oh, it's this guy named Nathaniel, he's from the next town over. He's like a smart kid. Like he studied the Bible growing up. Let's get him on our team. And Jesus is like, all right, let's go. So this is Philip running over to Nathaniel saying, we just found the Messiah, man. Let's, let's, let's start following him. This is that scene right here. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law in the Old Testament and about whom the prophets also wrote. Like all, all the prophecies were talking about this one that's going to show up one day. And then we th- I think we found him. Well, who is he? Well, he is Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. In case you don't know who he is, he's the son of Joseph. Now, remember, Jesus isn't here yet, okay? He's like in the next town over. So Nathaniel and Philip are talking about Philip's new discovery of this character named Jesus. Nathaniel's response, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? (laughs) That is so offensive, because you're not just dissing Jesus, you're dissing everybody there, right? Come and see, Philip said. He's like, Well, I can't explain. You gotta come. Now, as they're coming towards Jesus, this is how Jesus responds. Now pay attention to the nuances here. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now Nathaniel is a very smart man. He studied Genesis and all the books growing up. Okay, he was studious. As a matter of fact, I took that verse out, but it says that when uh, that that Nathaniel at the time was under a fig tree, just meditating and studying the scriptures. So, like, Jesus knows this guy is smart. He says, "Israel and deception. What are those two? How are those two words connected to each other?" One used to be Jacob, the other one was this new identity, Israel, so immediately when Jesus says this, in his mind he's already thinking, hey, this Jesus guy is thinking about the Jacob story in the book of Genesis, right? And in case you think I'm stretching here, next verse, will make it even clearer. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Ding, 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 right? Like everything on your dashboard is lighting up right now. Jesus is clearly making a reference back to the Jacob story. Here's Nathan, Nathaniel, Nate, whatever, okay. And he's like, Nazareth? You found the Messiah in Nazareth? What good could come from there? He's already dismissed Nazareth because there's no way God could do anything there. And Jacob, Jesus is like, remember the Jacob story? Remember, he was like, there's no way God could be here in the middle of the desert. Oh my gosh, there he is. There's a big angel descending, ascending thing happening here. Oh my goodness, right? And then he goes to Laban and he comes back. And then in the middle of nowhere, he has another wrestling match with God. And then all of a sudden, he discovers that God was with Esau this whole time when he thought he took God with him. It's so like, oh my goodness, what is Jesus saying here? You think nothing good could come from Nazareth? Be careful because you can miss out on something great because God dwells in the least likely places. Just because you have a label that says God on it doesn't mean it is of God. In the same way, just because it doesn't have the name of God on it doesn't mean it's not from God. God could be in all places. Now, the reason why we're talking about this is because perhaps, perhaps Christians, us, we have developed a bias against people who are outside the church or outside the label of the church. Can anything good come from fill in the blank? What have you discredited as not being godly because you've already looked at the label and said, there's no way anything good could come from that? Maybe somebody that you have disagreed theologically. There's no way that God could dwell in that belief of God because, well, they're wrong, (laughs) says you, right? Or maybe somebody who disagrees with you on your view on the war that's happening right now. There's no way that anything good could come from that person. Maybe somebody who voted against the way that you think people should vote. There's no way, there's no way that God could do anything good or no way that any truth could come out of that person because he's voting the way that I don't think people should vote. Or maybe it's a lifestyle. There's no way that God could dwell in that community over there because their lifestyle is something that I don't agree with. Be careful because you just might miss out on what God is trying to do. So one of the necessary skills in Christianity is being able to discern what to receive, what to reject, and what to redeem from the world. Just because it has a label world on it doesn't mean that it's all bad. So how do we do that? How do we receive or reject or redeem the things that are around us, right? Well, I don't have an answer for you because everybody's answer is different. But today I thought I would share with you my North Star of discernment, okay? This is just me. So what I mean by this is that you don't have to use these. These are just things that work for me. And you know, I'm in a context of ministry, so it might be a little different from yours. Okay, you could add to it, you could edit it, you could just scratch the whole thing and say, "I have a better set," and that's OK. I'm just going to share three with you today. I have way more than this, but these are the three that came to mind when I was preparing this sermon. Okay, number one: if it doesn't look or act like Jesus, it ain't Christian. It doesn't matter what the label says. You could say this is Christian music, but if the artist is not acting Christ-like, it ain't Christian. You can repeat the name Jesus over and over and over again in every single line of that song. If it doesn't represent Jesus, then it ain't Christian. It doesn't matter if it has the word church on the name of the institution, if it's not doing things that Christ would want people to do, if it's not treating people with dignity, if it's not loving people, it ain't Christian. If you're doing everything you can to keep people out of the kingdom of God because you don't agree with their lifestyle or because you don't agree with their politics or whatever, It ain't Christian, because if you look at Jesus, he invited people who are nothing like him. If you're loving your enemies, if it's for justice, if it seeks humility, if it's forsaking power and popularity, if it strives for forgiveness, I don't care if the name of Jesus is not on it, it is from Christ. Christ. However, if it's coercive, manipulative, and it seeks power, it is not of Christ. It ain't Christian. Number two, if fame is a higher priority than faithfulness, it ain't Christian. I know a lot of people, none of, none of the people here, obviously, you know, but I know people <laughs> who, um, who say, if I could get famous, if I could go viral... You know, if I could just become like the pop star, or the, you know, whatever. If I just have more power, if I could get richer, then I could serve the church so much better. If your priority is fame or effectiveness, and that's higher than faithfulness, it ain't Christian. Jesus never sought popularity. He wasn't thinking, if I just did it this way, it'd be more effective and the kingdom of God would spread faster. He never did that as a matter of fact if you look through the new testament you'll discover that when the church began there are no letters that paul wrote or peter wrote or james wrote that says here's how you could effectively spread the gospel not once this is because the church believed that the best way to represent christ on this earth is one relationship at a time one interaction at a time when somebody met a christian and said why are you living your life like this?" like you're tossing away a sure thing so that you can love on the people and be sacrificial towards them. People's lives changed. If fame is a higher priority, if effectiveness is a higher priority than faithfulness, it ain't Christian. Transformation, one person at a time, being Christ-like, that was a priority of the first century church. Okay, number three. If being right is more important than being loving, it ain't Christian. I've heard so many people fight over this. Um, They use verses and chapters and say, you see, we're right, but they're being a jerk about it. I'm not saying being right is, is not important. I think truth is very important, right? But if it's at the cost of not loving somebody, it ain't Christian. That is something we should reject. I've heard people say like, but, but, you know, I'm just yelling at people and telling them because, you know, just like they use this analogy, like if you're on the train tracks and you don't know that the train come behind you, wouldn't it be the loving thing to yell at them to tell them that they're about to die? I'm like, that's not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He pushed the guy out of the tracks and he got hit by the train. That's the loving thing to do. Not yell and win debates so that you could convince somebody that you're right and that they're wrong. That's not how you do it if being right is more important to you than being loving, it is not Christian. So these are just the three that I came up with. There's more to this list. Uh, Your list might be different, but this is how I discern. So let me ask you this question again. Can anything good come from blank? What is your blank? What have you discredited just because it didn't have the label of Jesus or Christian or church on it? Labels are deceptive. Does it look like Jesus? Does he act like Jesus? Are relationships transforming people? Or are you seeking out fame? Is it more important to be right or to be loving? These are some of the questions that I ask constantly when I look at groups of people who are not considered to be Christian. You know, one of the things that I learned that was really mind- groundbreaking for me is when my professor said, missionaries, your job is not to go somewhere and bring Jesus with you so that the world over there could know more about Jesus. That's not how Paul did it, and that's not how we're supposed to do it. A missionary's job is to go to another place and point out what God is already doing there. Like, hey, you see that thing, that, that love right there? That's Jesus, man. Like, look, you see that right there? When somebody laid his life down for somebody else? That's exactly what God is doing for us right now. You know how that person is always giving you good gifts and asking nothing in return? Well, that's like God who gave us all the blessings in this world. That's what we're supposed to be called to do, not argue people into the kingdom of God. So what have you discounted already because it doesn't agree with what you think is right? What have you disagreed with already because it doesn't have the labels that you think you know, all good things should have? What is it? Let's remember that God so loved the world that he gave his own his only son so that we could have everlasting life. And we'll talk more about what those words mean later. We're supposed to be like Christ. So let us play our part in the world in the way that God called us to. Amen. All right, let's pray.